podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. Yeah, we're here on Monday evening, the day after the the Masters final, which was a memorable occasion, uh, as it always is, really, but especially while it was a cracking match. Um, and brought it brought to an end, you know, one of the great tournaments, wasn't it? I think the general consensus, it wasn't the the best Masters tournament ever, but there were some cracking highlights, a good final, definitely. I think uh, it needed to be after a slightly underwhelming semi-final day. But yeah, I think that the final did live up to expectations in terms of went close, high quality, good winner for the game, you know, all good stuff. Yeah, absolutely, Phil. And we must say congratulations to Judd Trump. He is the Masters champion for the second time. And of course, it's the second time in in four years Mm. uh, he beat Mark Williams at 10-8. One of those where you give immense credit to Williams for getting that far. Because the class of 92 keep doing it, it's easy to forget how special it is, you know. And it's one of those weekends, and this, this happens with the, with the Masters and maybe the well, definitely the World Championship, but maybe the UK as well, where you do get those more sort of casual fans that, that I know in life that aren't big snooker people. They'll tune in, should say straight away, that's reflected in the viewing figures. More than 2 million people watching on the BBC on Sunday night. Peak audience of 2.2 million, actually, which is terrific for the game and just shows there's still a great appetite for these big finals. And Sunday's a huge television night in the UK, as I'm sure it is in most markets because most people in on those nights, it is the winter. So that's a really, really good audience. And people sort of saying, yeah, you know, it's special that Williams is still doing this. So you have to give him credit. He may have run out of steam a little bit at the end. But Judd Trump, they've got to say it, Bill. How many tournaments, triple crown-wise, just starting with those, off the top of your head, can you think of that Judd's played better in than not one? I would say instantly half a dozen. I mean, it is a funny old game, isn't it? I mean, he talked about being a cat. He, he had more than nine lives in this tournament. He had about 99. But hats off. If, if it was Selby that did this, and I know Trump mentioned Selby, didn't he, in the, mm. the winner's uh, conversation with Rob Walker on the BBC, we'd be saying, typical Mark, you know, got a scrape him off the table, pure Selby. We'd be saying the same for Higgins. So let's say it for Trump. What a what a you know, B game. Some people said C game at times. I mean, he was he was he didn't look at the races in some of those matches. But hey, he's the last man standing. He's got that famous trophy, and didn't he show stickability? Yeah, and it's an amazing skill. That's what players talk about so often in interviews when I speak to people who you know aren't regular winners, um, even of matches, never mind of tournaments, and they're all about wanting to make their B game or C game as good as possible. And Selby gets brought up. He's probably the player that gets brought up in other people's interviews as much as anyone after probably Ronnie, because um, people are so jealous of his ability to do that. Uh, and Trump's shown it there. You know, it's all—it's almost a more impressive way to win than just when you're on top form in the zone all the time and playing your best. Because when anyone's doing that, they can beat anyone, but few people cannot play their best and beat top players Never mind, beat four top 16 players to win the Masters. So, yeah, he was very, very proud of himself, quite rightly. He said it was probably his best achievement. Um, you know, I'd still say the World Championship's a bigger achievement, but I get what he's saying, to do it in this fashion. Um, and, yeah, he was he knocked in quite a few centuries over the tournament. Um, he, 
So it's, it's a weird thing to say he wasn't playing well because there were flashes. It was just so in and out, wasn't it? But, um, yeah, it's concerning because he's bound to click back into gear at some point. And if he can win the Masters playing like that, you know, he's going to be unstoppable when he goes back to top form. Definitely. And I think it was Henry that was saying, I mean, the Masters he won last time was kind of the spark for a really tremendous period. I mean, I... I'll come straight out and say it. I don't think you can have a period like that again. But the law of averages, it was so extraordinary. But it could certainly be that, you know, the start of another, you know, very, very good patch, a golden patch. You know, he wants to be so confident going to the crucible now, as you say. Uh, and that's the ultimate tournament for stickability. You know, if you, if you stick around then in difficult sessions, so this, you know, this is the, it's not prepped with the Masters. It's, it's magic in its own right. But in a sense, it is kind of, you know, in these shorter formats, if you can take that sort of uh, quality of just sticking in there in the bigger ones, then then you've got every chance. But again, we have to say it, six, seven years ago, he probably wouldn't have won this. He probably would have lost to Ryan Day, if not Barry Hawkins, but he just kept going. I don't know, we all, I mean, we all sort of said it. I wrote it on social media, but we all kind of thought... If he beats Ryan Day, yeah, he has to almost win the tournament. Yeah. But because he Ryan Day had so many chances, it, it was unreal, really. But there we are, that, you know. And another thing, Phil, and I have to say, we, I'm telling myself this and everyone, uh, you know, I'm not being pious about it. We do often forget, don't we, that snooker Sundays are so different to snooker Saturdays. I put a poll up, Mark Williams got 71% in that ahead of that final. Now, listen, I think he probably was the favourite, but he wasn't 71% favourite, was he? And I think we often forget that it's just a different day because looking at the way they played on Saturday, it's Williams all, all the way. But I just felt that that poll was too much on one side. And I think most of us probably fancied it to be close, didn't we? And and it went all the way. And I don't think Williams did much wrong, did he really? I mean, he fell away a little bit in the evening, but... I don't think it's one you look back with enormous regret. I think he pushed the boat out a bit in the very last frame, actually, with a ready took on, and maybe even before that, a couple of ambitious one. But you do that when you're reaching a bit and you were trying to make things happen. I just felt that maybe, maybe simplistic to say the younger man and a bit more energy at the end, but it was almost like that Trump sort of sprinted to the line, didn't he? He certainly did in the last two frames, yeah. I thought the weirdest period for, for Williams, and um, obviously... He caught up this difference, so it didn't look like it was a problem. But he still lost those four frames after winning the first one so brilliantly yeah. with that one three eight. And then I was actually in the arena for that for the, the that first session, and he had chances early on. And he, having made that brilliant century, he missed some pretty straightforward balls. Um, and it was as if he'd just come to the table, and they were his first frames, so they were a bit odd. And then obviously Judd won four frames on the spin then. And as I say. Williams got back in front later on, so it seems like it's less important. But he could have easily got a little lead up himself at the start then, and then, you know, things could have been very different. So, yeah, but he said afterwards, you know, he didn't he didn't feel like he played bad at all in the final. He thought he played well. He missed a few. It's going to I think I'm basically quoting him here. He missed a few. It's going to happen after over a best of 18. That's about as well as I can play over that distance. I'm happy if I... I'd be very happy if I played like that in any big match. So... Um, yeah, he certainly wasn't down about it. Um, there was some, yeah, I mean, it, it was just very even, wasn't it? I thought Judd felt that Williams was outplaying him throughout. Maybe that was the consensus, but yeah, there wasn't much in it. And as you say, 
Judd won that really, really long frame, um, which you would probably expect Williams to come out on top of, but that was, you know, that was evidence of Judd sticking in when he had to. And then, yeah, a half century and then that brilliant century to win it. So, um, yeah, it was close. And uh, I suppose the, the narrative we look at, I mean, it's all, it should all be positive for Judd. He just won the Masters. And it's good that he scrapped when he was uh, not playing his best. But he certainly has got a big stroke of luck in this. And that's no, that's no sort of negative. Anyone who wins a tournament gets some luck in there. But yeah, definitely Day missing those shots. And Bingham and Hawkins, if they'd have played against him like they did in their previous rounds, they easily could have beaten him. Even Bingham when he lost 6-1, that could have been, that felt much closer than that. So definitely some luck on his side there. But, you know, he'd been speaking before uh, this tournament how unlucky he's been this season. He said at one point, you know, when someone was saying, oh, it evens up over the season, he said, well, I'm about 20 nil down at one at, at this point. I think that was at the Scottish or the English. So maybe he's been saving up his bad luck and then just used it all at the Masters, which is not the worst way to do it. Yeah, you, you teed up something I've been thinking in my own head. And I, I hope I sort of say this right, it, in that I sort of think yeah, it's a bit like the league championship in football. No, it's not. That's much longer. The winner of the league is definitely the deserved winner. It's not quite the same, but I think tournament winners, you have to say, kind of deserve it. But I suppose this almost feels like he got one back for the others that went wrong that maybe ought not to have done. Like, he should have won that UK. And that should's a big word in sport, but he should never have missed that pink against Robertson. So that was a UK that he effectively had. So... You know, you think, oh, he, he pinched a triple crown here a bit, but he's had others pinched away from him, and mm. you know, no question about it. And others that he, you know, could should have won. I, I'm still at the camp that he, he probably should have won the eleven final when he was much much younger. And I only think a mm. bit of naivety. He played brilliantly in that final. I think he let that one go a bit. So listen, over a career, you know, I think these things even themselves out. Really, you know, however many, goodness knows how many triple crown tournaments he'll play over his many, many years in the game. I think, you know, he, he's more than merited another one, put it that way. This, mm. this now, you know, he, you know, we've all said it, I certainly said it, you know, I think he needs to be a multiple, he's that brilliant, he's that outstanding, you know, he needs to be a multiple winner of the game's biggest events. He now is. So, you know, he, 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 this is him delivering, no question about it. And yes, he's played a lot better, but when he's waking up with that Masters trophy in his house, I don't think he'll be spending too long thinking whether I did this or that right, Phil. It's all about the W. That phrase has crept in a bit, isn't it? All about the W. Everyone's saying it now. Yeah, I feel like it's a bit of Americanism, but yeah, I think I've said that a bit. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, I think Williams is sort of the example of that. I, I think he played the best snooker over the week. And I think he played the best snooker at the World Championship as well. Um, I mean, you could argue Ronnie did, but he played the most memorably outstanding stuff in Sheffield, I thought. Um, lost in deciding the semis. I thought he was the best player over the piece over the last week, and he lost in the final. So, yeah, you don't get points for style, do you? And that's back-to-back. Well, no, it's not back-to-back, but two triple crown tournaments where uh, Williams, I thought, was the outstanding player, which is an incredible thing to do at his age. And... Uh, you know, he's such guaranteed entertainment on and off the table. He's so he's just brilliant for the game. But um, yeah, he'd he'd swap style points for some trophies and a bigger check, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, I didn't quite buy that thing about Trump said it, Williams outplayed him. I didn't see it like that. I, I did see it that 
Trump had nine lives with earlier rounds, but I, I thought he was a pretty good winner, really. I mean, either one could have won it, but I think, mm. you know, okay, Williams maybe knocked in some more impressive pots here and there and made us some terrific breaks, but uh, it was an even Stevens element to the finals for me. I didn't quite buy that that line. As you say, Williams started with a one three eight. Trump went, I feel like you should be talking about this more than me. You were there to see it live. Trump went 4-1 ahead, but then ended 5-3. And I mean, you get you were there, you gauged some mood. Did that seem like, ah, that's big? To get to 5-3 rather than sort of 6-2 or even worse. Not advantage, Williams, but you got away with one a bit. Yeah, certainly 5-3 feels almost level, doesn't it? There after the first session. Um hit Judd winning that. Last frame didn't feel massive either way, but yeah, certainly to get back to five three from four one down was big for Williams. And uh, yeah, there was a, it was just very level, and uh, it was set up perfectly. It was one of those, you know, they're the kind of first sessions you want. Don't you? you don't want someone miles ahead. You just want it four all or five three, and just both looking good and just ready for the evening. And that's exactly what it was. They both did look very good. Exactly right. I've always said before, we're very demanding. Well, I certainly know I am. We want want it to be a bit close. We want some good snooker. We want slightly longer frames. You know, and maybe this wasn't the very perfect final, but it wasn't far away from it in terms of narrative and drama and late into the night, big television audience uh, and all those things that are are important for for this game. Williams got back to 6-6, didn't he, by by the interval? And then we know, we knew this was another, like their world semi uh, last season, this this was going to go all the way, frankly. 7-6 7-6 Williams, then a monster that, that was nearly an hour. I mean, what a fun... I actually had loads of people... Again, that was one of those where those sort of part-time snooker fans, occasional fans, writing on Twitter to say, that that was brilliant. Like, they really, really relished that. So it just shows, doesn't it? 10-minute frames where someone whacks all the balls in are great, but those sort of chess game frames can, can be so, so compelling. That was 7-7, about 10pm then, Phil. So, you mm. know, it was a proper old Coco night. But it maybe was over a little bit quicker than we thought from then on. Williams ahead, again, 8-7. And then, as we say, Trump finishing superbly, winning the last three frames, a 1-2-6 uh, to clinch it, and, and a 10-8 victory. And it, it's just a, a very special victory for him. You know, he, he couldn't... I mean, why would he disguise it? But his happiness just shone through there with, with Rob Walker saying, as you say, probably the biggest win of his career, not the most important, but he feels the biggest, but he did it in, you know, he scrapped and, you know, and that, that must give him, I mean, us mere mortals don't know how it feels to win any snooker tournament, but I guess to win one when you're playing like that must give you such satisfaction knowing, God, if I can do this, then, you know, the sky's the limit type thing. And of course, he's still an age where, you know, he's got so many, many more glorious days, glorious nights to come in this sport. And, we should say, sort of, you know, just many, many congratulations to John. And he'll push forward, won't he, Phil? Now, you know, we're not the business end yet. We're, we're at the bit before the business end. <laughs> Lots of big old tournaments to come. And, you know, he's put that one on the mantelpiece. And he's, he's not the type to say, well, that's it for my year, you know, resting on the laurels. He'll now see this as a real springboard, won't he? I think so, yeah. He, he did sort of say, obviously, he'll take huge confidence. He was, he was delighted with it. He's very pleased with himself, very proud, quite rightly. Um, but he, he was saying just a big part of it was that how much he loves playing at the Masters. He loves that venue. He loves coming to London, he was saying, because he's, he used to live there, but he's moved back to Bristol, so it's special to come back. And he said he just felt really good about being there and very happy. So he, And he was like, he even said, I'm not sure how much this is going to be in every tournament I'm playing because this is such a special feeling here. So I would expect it. Obviously, going to help his confidence. 
it's going to boost everything. But he did even say himself that, yeah, this this was quite specific to the Masters for me to be able to do that there. So, um, yeah, I would certainly, it's going to benefit his season. But, yeah, it was an interesting thing for him to even admit that, yeah, this was a Masters thing more than necessarily an overriding thing. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. And, it, and Rob, Rob Walker was kind of pressing that point, and this means so much to you. And you just got that impression from actually a lot of them, isn't it? You know, it's, it's a bit much to say the heads the heads are turned because they, these are superstars that are at the top of the game for, for everyone a day, a lot of them. But it, there's almost never been an atmosphere like it in a way. I mean, we had that Hong Kong thing which took on to mm. a new level in a different way, but this is sort of set in now. It, Tickets sell out for this event now. Funny enough, Barry Hearn, um, I remember came in the press room about two or three years ago, and it, I mean, classic Barry, it was great entertainment, but part of what he said was kind of right. He said it, he feels he's got this place in the right event now, and he's kind of, he's almost got them, he's got the fans in that lovely yeah. place. And, he, and the, the the real comparison that I can make, and this, this example is a lot bigger, is the darts now at the same venue. That is just, I mean, you'll know better than me. It, it's a golden ticket. You know, when that comes mm. out, you know, it's just, it's just something about it that people want to be at the Masters. And when you, when you look on telly, you know, and if you're a sort of part-time sports fan or, you know, full-time sports fan, but maybe not always into snooker, but you are a little bit, you try and go to that, wouldn't you now? You think, I want to be there in that place. You know, that just looks great. And, you know, it's such a showcase, isn't it? We say it time and time again, but, you know, how many people came through the doors that week? You, you add up all the sessions together. It must be, you know, 20 or 1,000. It's just, it's a brilliant thing, isn't it, when you go there? I mean, I know you, you were there for the final. It feels special, doesn't it? It feels different. There's something in the air. And, you know, even the seasoned players in the game are like, there's almost nothing quite like this you know and other events almost feel for a while might be to some extent it may be a come down slightly because it's just that massive isn't it yeah definitely and the way that everyone talks about it, including players you know um we write about it a lot when we speak to them yeah there's a lot of moaning from snooker players about stuff sometimes perfectly valid other times not so much but other tournaments don't get the sort of wild praise that this does so yeah when when you see them talking interviews talking after the matches on social media just constantly saying how great it is and it is um you know there's no surprise that the fans want to be there and casual fans um you say it's hard to tell just looking around a crowd so they don't know but you know most snooker tournaments there aren't there aren't many casual snooker fans who actually attend but i imagine there would be some at the masters because uh you know it's yeah as you say it's a hot ticket in town so yeah they've nailed it uh it's great it's got everything that everyone wants really is lots of seats for um your normal punters um, they've got all the hospitality and stuff, which looks great. Those sofas and everything, and the and the century century club—that's what it's called, isn't it? Yeah, the the fancy dining bit um, where Cliff Thorburn and Joe Johnson have been all week schmoozing people, entertaining people with tales of their careers. Um, so yeah, uh, everything about it is uh, is spot on, and uh, yeah, I could, they're not going to be changing that anytime soon. Did you get Cliff walking through the press room anytime or in that area? Because he he did it a couple of times when I was there, and just. Even then, for about sort of two or three minutes, had us sort of eating at the palm of his hand with a couple of sort of <laughs> wonderful references to playing in the sort of the 83 larder and things like this. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was, and I won that trophy and flew home and all it, you know, big crowd waiting for me. Yeah, all this sort of stuff. It's just, it's just wonderful, isn't it? Cliff and Joe together. Good double act, I thought. 
Yeah, definitely. I think he's ideal for that role. And uh, 75 now, Cliff, and he looks absolutely tremendous for it. But yeah, uh, yeah, what, a, what an icon in the game. In fact, I remember now a couple of our colleagues were saying that, that, that they went into the, I think they were, this was in the Century Club, and, and Cliff was talking about playing baseball, I think, as mm. as you know, as a boy, pretty much, or certainly, you know, a young man back in the day. So, you know, telling great stories. And actually, you know, Cliff will just tell marvellous stories about growing up, playing sort of snooker in Canada. It feels like, almost like a genuine hustler experience and yeah i think he was yeah you'll talk about and many of them had these extraordinary nicknames as well i should look them up someday and just read them all out here as well because he's just he's just a very very colorful character and it's a bit he's pure snooker royalty actually isn't he and i think because he's not around that much you know i mean listen henry of course and davis are snooker royalty but we see them at nearly every event especially if you go to them but thorburn will tend to be at I've certainly seen him in Sheffield in recent times, but you occasionally come to this as well. But it's, it has that rarity. It's like, that's Buddy Cliff. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. It's so big, isn't he? It, it's sort of next level almost in a way because that lovely rarity value. We should go back, Phil, and reflect a bit more on some of the earlier matches. We were on the air, of course, last uh, Wednesday night. So we told you the story then of the first round. But um, on to the quarterfinals. Well, I was there on, on Thursday, uh, Phil, and uh, uh, more of my Media Masters news to come up. We must, mustn't forget that before we go off the air. Um, well, that was Mark Williams 6, Ronnie O'Sullivan 5. What a contest. Again, that comes to mind that three or four more casual fans were messaging me to say this is just thrilling afternoon theatre. I feel sorry, actually, for those that did miss that, and they will have been people, because that was, that was brilliant. But in a funny sort of way, it started really frustratingly, uh, I certainly had that because I really, in the end, it was very close. I really felt it would be close, but it started in the way I really didn't want it to, where Mark wasn't bad by any means, but Ronnie really started a bit like an express train. Mark missed a couple. You think, oh, no, is his head going to go down here? It was 3-0 Ronnie. Mark got a crucial one. That was really important to go 3-1. And then he just played really well from there, actually. Breaks of 55, 83, 140, uh, 90. 59 and 102 from Williams. And it's one of those where I think Ronnie had the first chance on the decide. You think, oh, is it the same old story here? I think I heard a couple of voices saying, Mark's done everything. He's had a couple of, you know, one absolute monster break, come from the brink of defeat, played really well, and he's still going to lose. But it wasn't like that. Ronnie missed. Mark got in with that, you know, uh, century break to win it. And we don't have favourites, but I must admit that there was a pleasing feeling about that because I think it it'd been too long for for Mark not to beat Ronnie. I mean, it was something like crazy, like more than twenty years at Triple Crown, barking mad, really. I mean, there's weird psychologies with the class of '92, where Ronnie just seems to beat him time and time again. But I must admit, there was kind of a feeling around that it's got to change a bit. Mark was being very optimistic and confident before the match, and he really put his the goods, didn't he? So that was that was um just, you know a massive win for him. And then you really felt, boy, he got a big chance to win the whole thing. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think that was the highlight of the tournament, really, that game. Um, finals great, but that was the, that was probably the most memorable match for me. Um, yeah, it was brilliant because of how it happened, I think. Yeah, when Ronnie was 3-0 up, playing well, it just felt like, oh, same old, really. It's going to be a bit of a disappointing one. But 
there was a shot in that fourth frame. I think Ronnie really had a good chance to go 4 0 up as well. And I can't remember what ball he missed, but um, he, he fluffed one. And Williams then from there took full advantage. And yeah, it was superb. Yeah, it was it was great, great atmosphere. Everything about it was good. Uh, Ronnie was very gracious afterwards. You know, he said he didn't play the best, but, you know, he full of praise for Mark. It was just, uh, it was all really good. I know, I know Mark had said before, you know, he, he thought there might be one or two people in the corner hoping he'd win. But I think a lot of people, well, certainly a lot of people watching wanted him to win. And uh, I think he was surprised how much support he had, even in London there, because obviously a very popular figure and because everyone knows his record against Ronnie. So, yeah, um, yeah, match of the tournament for me, it was brilliant. It really was. It was it was superb entertainment, and you had to give you know so much credit to both players. Ronnie very gracious afterwards, as he often tends to be. You know, it has to be said he's, you know, for all the talk that Ronnie, you know, he's a rascal at times, and he can be. He's a pretty good. He's a pretty good loser, frankly, and he certainly was on that occasion. And just saying, you know, he didn't think he was quite good enough. I mean, Ronnie tends to play play himself down a little bit more than is justified. He played pretty well, really, but. And you know, could have won it another day, but he had, as I say, had the first chance in the decider. But then, you know, Williams taking it and it really kind of opened the tournament up even more than it was before. And you really felt Williams had a big chance there. Well, we moved on to another good match. And it, I meant to say this earlier, actually. It was, I mean, we'll obviously come to this, but there was three matches in a row, Friday night, Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, where it was. 6-0, 6-0, 6-1, which is very unusual at that stage of the Masters. Yeah. And what made it kind of weirder was that the preceding matches were all really close. Because if you remember last Wednesday when we were on air, we were like, could do with a few close ones now. And then we got a succession of close ones. Mm-hmm. This was another really, you know, intriguing match, really. Lizowski against Hossein Bafai. You really thought both had a such a big opportunity. And, uh, you know, it was it was no, no quarter given. It was great stuff looking at the scores here. Uh, 96 and 76 from Lazowski to win the first two, 68 and 143, another 143 from uh, Vafai to go uh, 2 2. Then he was 3 2 up, then 87 from Jack for 3 3. Uh, then it went uh, 4 3, Lazowski. And I'll say Vafai leveled, and then Lazowski kind of really made a good finish, 74 in the last to win it and, and claiming a 6 4 victory. Both players played well. It was a really nice match, played in very good spirit. They get on. And well, Hunter is asking how disappointed he was in the next one. It was almost more disappointed because he played so well in this. He looked so set fair, didn't he? It's just all coming together for Jack, really showing maturity. He had, of course, that fine win against, not a totally firing Higgins, but still a pretty decent Higgins, and it's still John Higgins. And then to follow that up with this good win against Hossein Bafai, who was on a bit of a free hit vibe still. And, you know, he was just delighted to get in the semis. It didn't work for him after that. But that was another top watch, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really fun. Um, Free-flowing attacking players. They were both going uh, under 21 seconds a shot. I was looking at their average shot time there. And, uh, and you know, LaSowski, this sort of new newer version of LaSowski, the slow evolution of LaSowski is certainly not got rid of all the aggression and the attacking flair because it still, it still took on some pretty mad stuff in there. Um, and they both gave each other quite a lot of chances, but it was just a really fun game to watch. Uh, played in great spirit, as you said. And uh, Lasowski would just, again, like we said, in the Higgins game, that was the first time ever they would they would have played in a big game and everyone, everyone quite fancied Jack to win and he delivered. And again, he went in as the favourite uh, against Hussein and delivered. So it was all bubbling up nicely for Jack. But yeah, it did sort of, <laughs> the wheels fell off quite spectacularly in the next round now. 
Very much so. It, it really did. And, and, and maybe rather than hogging it for me, I'll, I'll pass over to you to, to go first for the Friday quarterfinals. Starting off with Judd Trump. How, how many lives of his um of his 99 did he have in this one? <laughs> yeah, a few. Yeah, this was a funny one. Um, I, I remember speaking on the last pod that I fancied Barry to win as the underdog there. And uh, I know previous in the studio beforehand, Jimmy White was saying he... Uh, he strongly fancied Hawkins. I think Alan might have said he's a good bet as well. And Hendry was uh, questioning, uh, well, he was sort of saying that Judd was certainly played much worse than Hawkins did in the previous game. He's sort of swinging, that, swinging towards the Hawk, but he didn't play nearly as well as he did in the previous round when he beat Mark Allen. Um, but it was very, very close, obviously. He went to another decider and Judd sort of found, found his way through again, wasn't it? Um, I think what Hawkins was... Five, four, four, three, and five. Sorry, four, three, and five, four up. Um, but yeah, again, Judge just managed to finish strongly. Uh, he won three of the last four frames. One with another one, four, three, three, one, four, threes in this tournament, which is insane. Um, then the last two frames are one oh seven and eighty one, having not really looked very good at all in the first seven frames. Um, so yeah, it was finding the magic when he needs to. Um, Hawkins was disappointed and will be disappointed because he was sort of there for the taking and he got himself in a really good position um, then missed some balls himself. But um, yeah, it was looking, <laughs> it was a weird one with Judd, wasn't it? He, he wasn't playing well, but coming through these things, it was looking more and more, you know, like it could be his week, um, but you kept wanting him to spark a bit more consistently. He was sparking in tiny little flashes, but that was it really. But it was enough to beat people who weren't at their best. It was, and just you know, thinking, I know, I know this now, but you know, when you go through the events, you remember in your head, yeah, five three down to win six five, five four down to win six five, eight seven down to win ten eight. I mean, bloody hell! I mean, that is just, you know, if you get one of those at tournament, you're doing well. Two, very very good. Three, I mean, because mm. not quite at eight seven, but in these other two examples, it's it's no mistake, snooker. It's that kind of pressure. And he just delivered, in, in, you know. He, he, I didn't tune in for all of that, but I did tune in for those last few frames. And it, it like a sort of light was turned on. Right, I, you know, I cannot make a mistake now. I, I, it's backs against the wall again. As you say, 107 and 81 to win it from 5-4 down. And I think at that stage, you really were kind of thinking, you know, let's not etch his name on the trophy, but let's let's get the engraver to, to you know, to... to to start preparing to possibly do so because because he was just if you, if you're winning matches like that we we've all seen snooker and we've all seen sport throughout our lives you know this just looked like it it just might turn out to be his week type thing and yeah Hawkins wasn't quite as good but you know still good enough to to lead a, a top player like Judd five four and he'll obviously be disappointed but yeah the signs were were so good for Trump supporters that he was in the last four of a massive tournament without playing his best. And, you know, you thought he would get better, which he kind of didn't in the semi, but did for the final. And as we know, sort of um, is the man uh, with the trophy at the end of the week. And then a kind of peculiar one, Phil, because we were all saying, uh, can't pick a winner. in the. This is what the masters of the nightmare to predict. We said it with the Mark Allen thing, which he was, he was many people's pick to win it. He didn't win a frame. But this one, we were saying impossible to predict. 6-0, bloody hell. Yeah, Bingham, Bingham made a couple of people look silly a couple of times because we said the same in the Chiron game in the first round, didn't we? And uh, yeah. he beat him reasonably handily. And then 
it was the same in the Murphy game. It seemed like a pick him, and then he beat him, whitewashed him. And uh, yeah, Bingham was brilliant in that game. I think Sean had chances in a couple of the frames, but the other, but the other four, not really. Um, four big breaks, a couple of centuries in there. And yeah, that was Bingham at his sort of brilliant best. And uh, yeah, I mean, again, that was like the previous round. That was another one where Judd would have gone in favourite for their semi. But you'd think if that was going off, if they managed to carry on how they played in the previous games, Bingham had every chance, but it didn't work out like that. But um, yeah, Stuart was superb. Um, and loving his time at the Alley Pally again, doing the running around high-fiving everyone. Uh, it's great to see. We always talk about the cliche about how much Stuart Bingham loves snooker, but uh, he loves it, you know, in a cubicle in Barnsley, but he especially <laughs> loves it at Alexandra Palace. So, yeah, it's great to watch him and, um, yeah, play brilliant. What would happen one day if, if, you, if Stuart Bingham just came out one Monday morning and said, you know what, I don't really fancy it this week. It, <laughs> we'd, we'd be so stunned. All, all our cliches would fall away, wouldn't they? I'm just not quite up for it. I need a rest. Very unlikely to happen. Um, he does love it. And was then were you particularly offended? Did you feel I was quite a little bit surprised when Stuart came out and said, "I." He said Sean was lucky to get Neil, and obviously, I guess a few people must have had a go at him because he came out and. I mean, it's a, it's not the most gallant moment of his career, and, and listen, it's not. It's hardly speaking, you know entails out of school to say there's a bit of history between the players. There definitely is. Maybe there's an element of that in it, but I didn't think there's much in it. I mean, he's not quite that kind of guy to be uh, to be particularly mean, is he? No, I think it was sort of in a jokey fashion. But at the same time, yeah, they're not the best of pals. And I think he probably wouldn't have said that about other people. But either way, it wasn't offensive. I mean, that's just... You never know. When he came out with that video, you don't know how many people he's... It could have been two or three tweets just saying, I'm not sure about that. He felt he had to do it, but I'm sure the vast majority of people certainly weren't bothered. Um, yeah, it was just <laughs> just a heat of the moment thing, but uh, even so, yeah, I mean, it certainly wasn't a problem in my eyes. Indeed. And then, well, maybe I'll, I'll talk about the first semi first and then you, you the second one first type thing. I think it was a good semi final Saturday, in short, um, and that's fine. You know, that happens. The 2022 semi-final Saturday was one for the ages, which you were lucky enough to be there for, weren't you? That was just two unbelievable matches. You know, we just... I think we'll always be talking about that Williams-Robertson one. I certainly won't forget it. I don't think any of us will forget it in the hurry. The other one was great as well. This wasn't like that. This was, you know, uh, one very easy win. And then the second one, very easy on paper, a bit of a scrap. But in terms of Williams-Zowski... Zazowski just just didn't really get going. He just missed far too many. Didn't look at the races. Didn't have the the same demeanour about him we had earlier in the week. Just one of those things. I mean, looking at the scoring, it wasn't immense from Mark. Breaks of 52, 74 and 68. But he certainly scored heavier than that in other matches. But didn't really need to. He just made the, you know, the breaks when needed and mm. big pots when needed. And, you know, I, I always think that Masters... Well, I love the whole semi-final Saturday actually, but I think the Saturday afternoon is always quite a special deal. I remember even going back as a, you know, going back as a boy and going back throughout all my snooker watching days. Really, there's something about that Saturday afternoon semi, and also it's on BBC One, so it's a great showcase. And it just sort of wasn't really; it's just very one-sided. You know, Mark through to the final, and yeah, I guess Lazowski fans would have been, you know, very, very disappointed. Let's be clear, progress still, but 
is one of those almost unexplainable ones. It happens again for me. It fed into this thing of it just being quite an odd Masters where you have these <laughs> post matches and then just suddenly these six nils sprung up again. You know. Yeah, it was, it, I didn't see that coming. I thought it'd be close. But I thought I had Mark as the favourite, but Lasaski was playing well. Um, and yeah, you always fancy him just to click and you know take a couple of frames because he's so brilliant and he gets in once the balls. But um, yeah, strange one. You know, I think we're all sort of a lot of people sort of think it's all just going to suddenly like click with Lasowski and he's suddenly going to be he's going to get there. But it is slow progress. It is progress. He never won a match at the Masters before. Now he's won two, so he's he's moving in the right direction. But yeah, it's it's slow and steady with him and. Uh, that will be, you know, that will have hurt because he will have fancied his chances to at least push Mark close there. But yeah, I forgot to mention in the previous game, didn't he? he had a migraine the, the hours beforehand, which he he revealed after he would beat Vafai. Which you know, if you, I've only had a couple of migraine migraines ever, they're an absolute shocker, really bad. And uh, I think if you never had one, you don't understand. Certainly before I'd had one, I didn't. I always thought they were just people's the best excuse you could use to get off work, where you're just making things up. But as soon as you've had one, <laughs> they're, they're horrible. So uh, he did very well to to get through that. But um, yeah, no, uh, disappoint for him. But yeah, you just got to say it's it's slow and steady progress, and it certainly is semi final Masters after being in the semi final of the UK as well. But yeah, shame though because even if you didn't care who won that game, you wanted it to be close and entertaining. And like you said, it just it just wasn't really. How do you fancy a, a video of the Trump and Bingham for next Christmas? A bit of an early one, Phil. Next Christmas present. You know how much I like to, uh, you know, surprise you and you know the, on the big occasion. Hey, it wasn't good, was it? Really? I mean, it was it was a scrappy old affair. Trump won it six one, but it was a hard match to love. Yeah, it's funny, wasn't it? Because you look at the frame scores and Trump's made five half centuries in his six frames that he won. And Bingham made a 93 in the one he won. So if you hadn't seen the game, you'd think, oh, it's pretty good, actually. Very good, perhaps. But didn't feel like that. <laughs> I don't know why. It was, uh, some of them were really bad. Um, I think it was the penultimate frame that was going on for ages on the like yellow and green. Um, and, yeah, Bingham was just nowhere near like he was um, in that game where he beat Murphy 6-0. Uh, Trump afterwards said he was feeling good. Um, thought he played well for most of it. Um, and it, it just didn't feel like that watching it. But, yeah, like I say, you look at the frame scores and they were all right. But, um, yeah, again, not a classic, but a strange one because it was finished 6-1. Bingham probably had a chance to win every single frame. So it, it was very strange. But, um, yeah, more scrapping from Judd and less scrapping than he had to do in the previous two games. So he was sort of <laughs> building it up. I suppose it's easy to say now that we thought he was getting had his name on the trophy. But, um yeah, we all know that every day is different, especially with these top boys. They can just turn it on at any point. But having watched their semi-finals, I certainly made Mark the favourite on the final day. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I know it's, it's snooker Sundays are different to snooker Saturdays, but we're seeing that quite quite a lot this season, aren't we? I mean, the the other one that comes to mind is Ryan Day when he said he <laughs> wasn't for football and he, he looked in a, you know very ordinary form in that British Open semi. Came out a different man for the final, and we saw it, you know, just to, to a large extent here again. Trump ends up beating Mark Williams 10 8 in the final, and he is the Masters champion once again. Congratulations to him, and congratulations to everyone involved, Phil. I mean, you know, I was there a couple of times. I know you were there for the final. 
It's a pleasure to go to that famous building, isn't it? It really is to walk up that hill from the Rattler Station. There's something of the pil- there's something of the winter pilgrimage about it. <laughs> it's it Sheffield's the ultimate snooker pilgrimage. And that, that that sort of magic walk for and I, must, I mustn't I know I always talk railways. Other people drive, I know, but for me, it's always up from the railway station to the Crucible. That's the ultimate pilgrimage. There's something about this one, I think, up the hill to Ali Pali. And you know you're going to be a proper winter warmer. You know, all the, the biggest stars, and there's something so showbiz about it. It was covered very well on television again. You know, both BBC and US Sport had their qualities, no doubt about it. And uh, it's just, you know, it leaves this sort of warm glow, doesn't it? It's, it's a tough time of year. It's a very tough winter, full stop, actually, in this country and in, in many other countries, you know, for economy reasons, for uh, in some places still for pandemic reasons, for all kinds of very difficult reasons. And for us that love this game, it just puts a smile in your face to watch that for eight days, every afternoon, every evening. It's just, a, we should say, it's, it's a real pleasure to, to watch, isn't it? And it, that tournament, we're going to its 50th edition next year. It just goes from strength to strength. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's in as good a position as it's ever been. Um, yeah, I, well, I stayed in Wood Green when I went down there, so I did that same walk and uh, lovely sort of uh, sunny, wintry day and the views are amazing. I'm sure any, anyone who's been there will know it's a yeah, lovely scenery over London. And uh, yeah, we would like to hear any any views about from people who've been there. It seemed like uh, there was plenty to do. I know you had to go all this around the Q zone and places like that. Um, so yeah, they've, they've made everything about it good. Um, and yeah, it's just one of those that's going to hopefully grow and grow. I'm not sure how much more they can grow it really, um, but it's in, they don't need to. It's in a, it's in a top spot. So yeah, uh, it's, you know, we when the UK made those changes this season, that was, you know, some people saying, oh, is that going to, Come back to second spot in the in the sort of pecking order because it has got the bonus of being a ranking event as well. But I think the Masters reasserted itself uh, this week um, as as number two behind the World Championship. But um, it's good that there's a competition for that now because the UK had previously sort of fallen well behind, but it's back in back in the running again. But um, yeah, Masters number two, I think most people would agree. Oh, I think so. I think so now. Um, what was all the banging about? I mean, to be fair, there were a few fans that said, oh, they, you know, it wasn't any more than... than my... I think I think there was quite a lot, to be honest. I mean, you know, having been there, though, there's a lot of activity milling around that place. All sorts mm-hmm. of, you know, creaky floorboards and people up to, you know, different things, working, you know, people working in television and what have you. So it's maybe not that... Some people said it was the seats banging. I mean, it seemed a bit loud for that. Some people said it might have been the blue ball challenge. I mean, the ones I've talked about, they tend to stop that for tournament play. I don't know if it was that. But anyway, it was, it was you know, it's quite a noisy, quite, an, you know, it, it's a it's a wonderful place, but it's noisy. A lot of insects around, you know. Yeah. <laughs> there, are, there are drawbacks, but listen, on the whole, it's great. You, I guess you didn't do the blue ball, because I know if you did, you'd have been telling me. I didn't know. I, I was going to do it in the, inter- in the gap between sessions, but... I instead went to the pub to watch the North London Derby. So I missed my chance, but uh, we'll have to do sort of a, a best of 19 at the Crucible or something on the Blue Ball, shall we? <laughs> well, we should talk about the, the media a bit. Now, I, I know I know you the like to do it, but you're going you're gonna to enter the big one. And you, 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 you're a Sheffield man, of course, so you're, you're, you're almost uh, certainly going to be there more than me. So, you know... I'll, I'll probably have the problem next time type thing. But I was there a couple of times, managed to play in it. Um, I won one match, but I lost against Rob Walker. I mean, 
you know, it was a, it was a good match. Uh, you know, it, well, it wasn't good actually in terms of quality. It was, awful. <laughs> it, it was good. It was good fun. Just that, I mean, you know, if Charlie's descriptions act were hearing me call me and Rob scrapping a good match, I meant it was sort of enjoyable. It, yeah, it, it wasn't a good standard. He made some nice old pots, Rob. I mean, the difference in average shot time was would have been mind blowing. I mean, he's a bit of a. I don't, want to, I don't want to say grinder, that would be too hard, but he's a bit of a, and of course, you know, I sound like I'm making excuses now, but there's a little bit of the, you know, Rob's a great showman. Hello, how are you doing? You know, mm-hmm. he's meeting his mates. So um, anyway, I've got, I've got my list. how I imagine Rob Walker to play, so energetic and bouncy. You'd think he'd be sort of running around the table. He slows down quite a bit to play snooker. Mm. Yeah, no, he's a bit surprising, but no, I'm only being flippant. Rob, Rob was the better player. He, he really was. And he's a, he, he's a quite a tidy little player, actually. He's playing his, his talents down a bit, but he, he actually did, you know, he, he played well. He's a, he's a deserving winner. And I, yeah, I was probably far too quick. I, I didn't play as well as I did in the match before, but that's the way it goes. But the winner, we have to say, I think I did tip him as a bit of a, of a sort of not even dark horse. I think we all knew that by tails from those that have seen him play, how good he he is. It was Michael McMullen who beat our friend uh, Shane McDermott in the final. And uh, got some, I've got some copy here in the single frame knockout event, broadcast to McMullen, who works for Eurosport and presents WST podcast, beat Five Lives Jamie Broughton in the quarterfinals, then saw off master of ceremonies Rob Walker in the semis, uh, Lancaster and Crowther journalist McDermott, uh, got into the final, knocking out Alex Bullions before beating fellow scribe Hector Nuns. And then Irishman McMullen dominated the final to clinch the trophy. Our thanks go to Chris Lovell from WPBSA for donating the trophy and giving access to the Q Zone table at the London venue to Colin Poultney for the images. And we should say that there was some money raised by all of us there for the, the very good charity, uh, Jesse May, uh, that WST does some wonderful work for. You want to look into Jesse May. They provide nursing care uh, at home for children and young people with life limiting conditions who are not expected to live beyond the age of nineteen. And actually, I've you know, on a very very serious note, I've been to many WST events over the years and met people from Jesse May and and uh, seen videos from there. They do absolutely marvelous work. So all, mm-hmm. all the money raised for their them people, you know, it's just it's just hugely heart heartwarming because they do. They do God's work. They really do there. And and we should say it was good fun, but bloody McMullen, Bill Haig. I mean, it's not fair, is it? Some guys get all the luck. Not only does he talk about the game brilliantly, he's good at playing it as well, and he beat us all. We, we, but there was mention, I mean, Ivan is talking sort of about the double crown. Not the triple crown, the double crown. Can McMullen go to Sheffield? He'll have a bit of pressure on him now, a bit of a one to man. Can he repeat the feat there? Yeah, that'll be tough because I guess it'll be a bigger field and just these one-frame shootouts. Obviously, it favours the better player, but, you know, things can happen. Strange things can happen. So we'll see. And, uh, and there might be some rejigging of the handicaps as well. I'm not sure Sam Fletcher will be giving you as many points next time. <laughs> I bet my bloody draw Sam Fletcher again. Yeah. If I do, I'll be asking for a redraw. No chance. I'm a, it's a, <laughs> I don't want that. No, he's a proper snooker player, yeah. Um, yes, Um Indeed, um, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm getting ideas above my station, Bill. But I was inquiring whether we could maybe nab, maybe not all of the tournament, but at least the final in in the Crucible. Uh, between sessions feels a bit of an ask, but maybe on that day between the 
tournament and the seniors, who knows? But so. what, what a what a carrot that is to get some practice <laughs> in and that's only a joke. That's not going to happen. <laughs> we, we'll be lucky to get a, a table in any arena in Sheffield. We'll, we'll see how it works. But that, well done to Mike McMullen. He, he's a winner of the, of the Media Masters. And let's maybe move to a little bit of correspondence Phil, we got in from Isaac Remedios uh, on email. Now, he was the uh, the fan that said his dad was getting him tickets, if you remember. And he went to the bottom. He said, let us know what it was like. And he's kind enough to do so. Hi, Nick and Phil. The Masters final was epic, and what made it more epic was being in the crowd. It felt so surreal that I was in the arena, which I had been watching on TV all week, and seeing such quality snooker close up was a privilege. I'm fairly sure I spotted Phil in the crowd as well. I think he was just behind the wheelchair row in the yellow stand. True? Hang on, yeah, that's exactly where I was. Uh, I was just sneaking there for the afternoon session, so yeah, well spotted. You don't actually, on a serious note, you you haven't you don't always get to see that much, do you? You say that, but so it, it, it's sort of nothing like it is there actually, because I, I don't see an immense amount. But I remember going in uh, to was it the doubles? I think I was at the doubles right right at the front. I thought, God, it's you almost forget as you go in really quite how much of a sort of visceral thing it is, you know? Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, there are too many tournaments. I just sort of sit in the press room so much because especially doing online stuff, you've got to be ready to write things whenever anything happens. But uh, yeah, I gave myself some time to actually get in there, which was amazing because it actually has been a little while, especially for a big match like that. Um, and I didn't even have the earpiece on, just watched it. And uh, yeah, it's absolutely just brilliant. I love it. Um, just all the little things. I, I find you find yourself sort of trying to look at things that you wouldn't see on the TV, just watching the people and the players in their seats a lot just to see what's going on, just wandering around, just just sort of scanning the whole thing and just, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. And also we'll give a shout out to our upcoming guest, uh, Marcel Eckhart, because I was keeping an eye on him and uh, re- watching the referee closely as well. There was a moment where we'll probably talk to him about this, but it was such a tiny thing really, but it showed me how like the, the attention to details of the refs, because there was a shot where Judd was um, just rolling off one cushion into the pack just slowly to rest against the reds. And he, he knocked the pink which um, anyone would have thought was on its spot before, but Marcel put it back on its spot. And he was like, that doesn't look that right. And he just, he got Tatiana, who was marking. And it, she said, okay, it's just like, literally like a hair. And he rolled it the tiniest amount just off its spot by li- a millimetre. And then he was satisfied. It was where it actually should have been. And I just thought 99% of people would have just assumed that was on its spot and just left it on its spot. But that's the attention detail you get. Um, and yeah, congratulations to Marcel completing his own uh, triple crown refereeing all the big three finals so um, yeah looking forward to speaking to him definitely uh, reports of you involved in podcast negotiations very close to the, the last session because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they walk through the press room before they go on and uh, yeah I, I sort of went over to say hello and he was fine to t- talk but then we were talking about sort of timings for it and I was like I didn't then realise that he was literally about to walk out to referee this thing. It's probably got more important things on his mind, but uh, I got my got my negotiations in there when I could. <laughs> well done, and you did brilliant to get Marcel. I'll tell you what, you know, I have to say, um, listen, hosts always say they get a lot of correspondence, even if it means one sort of dog chew postcard from six months ago, but we genuinely have had a lot in for Marcel. Scouts on that. We've had mm. those in. We might have to call it soon, you know. It's one of those. 
Two weeks till he comes on, but we've had loads of correspondence from Marcel Eckhart. He's obviously a, a popular man in, in the game. And so we've had some genuinely lovely correspondence, actually. So that's great to hear. But do keep it coming. We've got some room for a bit more. And we should go back to Isaac here. I also love seeing the whole TV operation behind the scenes. That was interesting. In my opinion, it's one of the best finals we've had for a while now in terms of quality and closeness. I, I would agree. Uh, 10-7 at the UK, 10-8 at Ali Pali. Now, all we can hope for is a decider at the Crucible. That will be something. Another highlight of the experience was the fan zone. I attempted the blue ball challenge and I got it perfectly on target, but unfortunately a little too hard. So the blue jumped out of the pocket. You've got to be really, really good to get the, the blue ball challenge. <laughs> like, you've got to be brilliant to do that. <laughs> I'm just and you, say, you, you said on here, I think, you've got to play it slowly. So Isaac didn't, didn't take your tip there. But it wasn't my tip, actually. It was someone else that got it four times in a row. But yeah, you're right. They passed it on to me. And yeah, uh, maybe that yeah that maybe does help a bit. Seeing the Triple Crown trophies was awesome too. Although the Masters on display must have been a replica as the real one was in the arena. And finally, I had hoped to get a selfie with Judd and or Mark after the session, but they left the arena immediately, presumably because they had to prepare for the evening session. But I did catch Marcel Eckhart, soon to be friend of the pod, for a photo, which was nice. Thanks again for the work on the podcast, Isaac. And, and that's lovely. And, you know, you're right, we have no way of gauging how many people are one-time or first-timers, although my hunch is there are quite a few of this, actually, maybe more than most events. But there's no disguising the vibe and the happiness. You see it on telly, the faces. Uh, again, it's a little bit like, I mean, uh, maybe they're, they're normally a bit wilder and madder at the Ali Pali darts, but there is that vibe where everyone's sort of happy. It's a bit like that in the Masters. It smiles on faces. You really get the sense people are loving being there. It was an improved fan zone experience. Probably could be improved even further. But there was that feeling, um, you know, it, the, as you went in the in the front part of the of, of the kind of arena, you had all the sort of uh, the blue ball challenge. There was photos you could take. There was pool games. There was various things, the trophies. And then you went around the corner and there was the area where people were, able to play and do their own sort of uh, time challenge on the table that we did the media masters on. There was a lot going on, you know, and that that's great. You just you look through the players and the practice through that uh, funny Juliet Bravo type glass that we, we, yeah. we, we talk about and it's good. It, it really is. And it, and it's premier event. It's just a premier event now at this time of year. And we just, we just thoroughly enjoyed it. And, I say once again, one down to everyone involved, the broadcasters, the organisers, the players, entertaining us so much, and everyone that went because, you know, it's a it's a it's an effort to to do anything in January really for money reasons, for life reasons, all kinds of reasons. So you know, it's it's such a great showcase for the game and made this tournament sort of keep delighting us feel for years to come. Yeah, and I think the crowd was sort of spot on. There might there may have been the odd shout that was sort of out of place once or twice, but I think overall it was it was almost perfect, really. And you're always going to get one or two that do it the wrong time or whatever. But when, like you said, however many thousands of people were there over the whole every session, it's bound to happen. But I think by and large, you know, absolutely spot on. So yeah, well done to everyone. Um, one thing that I thought I meant to mention this earlier, really, but uh, it's kind of a relevant point, really. But I thought I spoke when we were all speaking to Judd afterwards in the 
in the press conference, he just made a point, which I thought quite a lot, and he was obviously aware of as well, that winning these things, and it sounds silly saying it, but it's such a massive difference on your CV between runner-up and winner that it's almost like you may as well have lost in the first round to have lost in the final. You know, you are just judged on how many of these and how many tournaments you win, and people forget about finals too much, in my opinion. That's why I've thought about it before, and I think that's what he was saying as well, that, you know, he's been to the World Final recently, um, he's been to plenty of other finals, but they're just forgotten. You know, you're a one-time Master Champion, one-time World Champion, whatever. All the everything else is gone. So he made this point that you know it is absolutely crucial for sort of legacy purposes and how people judge you as a player to get over the line, uh, and that's what he did. But yeah, that that just struck it out with me because it's something I thought about before. Um, you know, like Higgins, all those world finals he got to in, on, in a row, but they're almost yeah people know and it's impressive, but they're just forgotten in a way like compared to what he had to do to get there is incredible but it's it's almost just annihilated by not winning the final but yeah i just thought that was quite an interesting point no i i really really get get where you where he's coming from and where you're coming from to to kind of make some something of that it, the fine margins in sport i think are always fascinating and funny enough i thought of some reason what what came into my mind was a totally different thing which was last year's open championship in golf where Roy McIlroy played absolutely brilliantly. And the whole stage was set up for a McIlroy triumph. The vast, vast majority of people at St Andrews wanted him to win. It was set up for a McIlroy coronation. He played brilliantly all week. Yet, lo and behold, Cameron Smith comes from, not nowhere, he's a top, top player. But he just had the most inspired of final days. And the history books and the glory and everything really goes to him. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, we all remember Rory played well, but nothing really goes to him in some ways. He just didn't win it. And it just, yeah. maybe that's not the right example, but just what came to my mind. And it's so much like that. Yes, you're right. Higgins, those world finals. The margins are so small. And again, I feel like I'm harping on it, the point a little bit, you know, about the, the job thing escaping. But how vital a moment in that tournament was, was Ryan Day getting that difficult sort of thin cut on the black, splitting the reds, almost perfectly, apart from a red dropped in the middle. Yeah. It was just a moment in time. That snooker, that sport, how big a moment was Sean Murphy missing that black at the tournament before Christmas? You know, maybe he'd have gone on to win that and his first big win for a while. Instead, Selby did. We, yeah, we, we, you know, spent endless, endless hours pontificating on here and other broadcasters and, you know, journalists do that about, you know, all sports. And yet, the margins are so thin, it's almost unreal at times. It's, a, it's, a, it's kind of, not frightening, that's too strong, but it's just so you know, close, isn't it, between winners and losers. I guess it's part of the, the endless fascination with sport, I guess. Oh, yeah, I mean, the, this whole sort of narrative that we're weaving now, and it's not in, incorrect to do to, about how Judd's found a way to win with his B game and stuff, but, you know, he could have lost in the first round to Ryan Day. Uh, not just that, that one we went in off going into the Reds, but... You know, he missed that red down the rail, which was pretty straightforward, really. Then he got that chance right at the end, didn't he? He got that free ball where he tried to pop the brown in the middle uh, and fluff that as well. Um, and there were a few others. They Ryan Day had a few chances there. And what would that have been? Judd Trump turning up at the Masters and losing in the first round to Ryan Day. No disrespect to Ryan Day. He's a great player, but 
you know, how different would that have looked to now? It's the polar opposite to him now being a two-time Master Champion judge. So, yeah, tiny, tiny, tiny margins. But, um, yeah, that's how it goes. Indeed it is. And maybe that's, for now, our final word on the Masters. We should say you are listening here to Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. And the Snooker Roadshow, Phil, moves on. The World Grand Prix, which is the first of these really, really big three ITV events, still feel quite new in our lives, but we absolutely love them. You know, it's top players, it's top players in form. It is underway. Uh, We should say there is a new sponsor, isn't there, uh, of the event, uh, which we only found out actually uh, this morning, Monday morning, and it's Jewel Bits, which... We are told is a crypto casino and sports book with an ambition to become a niche global brand offering users better rewards and an easy to use product. You know, if I thought of sentences that that are, are the kind of opposite of, 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 of my understanding of life, <laughs> it would probably be a crypto casino and sports book with an ambition to become a niche global brand, offering users better rewards and an easy-to-use product. I'm a Metal Mickey man, Phil. This doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but it, I know it makes sense to some people. It's not the most dignified situation, you would say, would you? Of course, this was supposed to be a kazoo event and a kazoo series, uh, but but instead, it you know, it's, a, it's kind of a very different story, and it, it doesn't, you know, it's difficult times. It's difficult times for the market, you know, it, Attracting any sponsors, let alone blue chip sponsors, isn't easy. But I think a few eyebrows have been, you know, raised at this one, haven't they? Yeah, um, and obviously announcing it on the day the tournament starts, yes, it's a very, very last minute deal. They've obviously got those uh, hoardings or what they're called round the table, printed up nice and quickly. It actually looks all right, but it on now it looks fine. Um, but yeah. Um, I don't know anything about dual bits. I've never heard of them before today. Um, I'd be surprised if many people had. Uh, so can't comment too much on them. And as you say, I can't comment too much on it because I've got a really clue what it is. <laughs> and I heard the words you said, but, you know, that bit offering users better rewards and an easy-to-use product. It had me thinking of, uh, that's management talk, David, and I know you hate that. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know a lot about it. So, But I, I think certainly... You know, it, if you ask any snooker fans or anything, is that the type of sponsor you would hope for for snooker tournaments? You'd probably say no, wouldn't you? But if it's money in the game for this season, then it's it's not a bad thing. But yeah, uh, especially with the current controversy going on, it's not what you'd pick if you had a free choice of sponsors to go to. Well, you are listening to Talking Snooker, a podcast that has an ambition to become a niche global brand. <laughs> Better rewards and an easy-to-use product. We already offer listeners better rewards and an easy-to-use product, Phil. There's no need um, to, to, to offer any promises. People will know they already get that. Um, Phil, the action's underway, the World Grand Prix, in Cheltenham, uh, that, that beautiful spa town, and it's at the race course as well, where, of course, uh, the eyes of the, the sporting world will be on, on the National Hunt Festival in a couple of months' time. God willing, I'll be heading there myself for that. That, one, that wonderful sporting event. This week's all about snooker there. And uh, we've had an, an early victory for Mark Allen. Yep, I watched uh, most of that before we, before we started recording. He beat Dave Gilbert. Gilbert went 2-1 up, um, but 
he was sort of playing very aggressively and some of them were going in, but some of them were not. So Alan threw, um, I think it was 4-2, I can't really see, 4-2, 4-3, I think it was 4-2. Um, but more impressively, there's two tables on at once, so only one shown. Um, but it looked like the other game was a cracker, really. Zhu Yilong beat Tetraya 4-3 and Zhu's made all sorts of breaks there. Uh, two centuries and four half centuries <laughs> in his 4-3 win, which is some going. Um, so, yeah, that's impressive. Um, and I've got on now, uh, Lisowski is losing to Milkins and even more notably, Neil Robertson is losing to Zhao Gudong. Um, so we could have some shocks early doors, um, but we'll see. But, yeah, uh, there's a fair few in. It's not full, but the crowd doesn't look too bad. I think I've not been to this venue. I've been to the Cheltenham races before. Um it's not like in town, it's a bit out of town, isn't it? Which uh, probably doesn't help for audiences, but um, I'm sure it's a nice venue, though. It, yes, I've always thought the building looks right for it since they, since they first said that one that a few years ago was there. Yeah, the centre is quite... I mean, I say a lot of Cheltenham is a heavy you know, gambling element because that's a large part of the reason why people go, let's face it, as, as well as the glory of the horses and the magic of the spectacle. And without being pious, that's the stuff I'm all into, but... Of course, people like to go for a bet. But the central building is normally kind of big screens, very betting focused during the festival. But as soon as I said it, and I've not been myself for snooker, I thought well, that's about the right size for snooker, that place. That that that, that fits for me. But yes, I, I think it's called Prickville Park. I've walked past it so many times, I really should know it. But yeah, it is out of town. It's a very old walk. And last time, I didn't think ticket sales were very good for a lot of it. So it's good to, to hear there's sort of a few in, certainly early on. Yeah, Neil Robertson 2-0 down. And he's only got two points in those first two frames, 102 nil and 85-1 to Shao Gudong. And, uh, well, there's any more developments before we go off air, we'll let you know about that. As you say, Walt Milkins 2-1 up on Jack Lisowski. Of course, results will be, whenever you're listening to this, you'll be able to pick up results from the excellent snooker.org and the official World Snooker Tour podcast. So we're really looking forward to to, to, some cracking action, Phil. It, sometimes it would be after Lord Mayor show, wouldn't it, actually? But because this is kind of the first of those big ITV events, they cover snooker so well, I think it's almost like settle back into some more snooker watching. You know, it's, you know, it's January, it's still cold, it's, you know, it's we need, we need these sort of warmers, and, you know, it, it, there's a lovely sort of rhythm to these. They build more and more. And each one does feel bigger, doesn't it? You know, mm-hmm. it, it really is like that. The 16-1 feels bigger. The eight feels massive. The tour, I can't wait to get for that. That you know, later in uh, into the spring in Hull, this one does feel like the the lesser of the three, but it still feels big. And it and you know, players are in form, so you know you you, you, you know you're going to get good matches. Frankly, yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, it's it's really sort of the aim for most of the tour, isn't it? You want to get on this, yeah. I guess brand new professionals or something. They'll still want to get in there for sure, but they might not quite be aiming at that just yet. But most people on the tour are thinking, right, I want to get here, get into the Grand Prix because it shows you're playing well. You're having a decent season if you're the top 32, more than a decent season, really. Um, and yeah, I mean, you've probably got to watch as much snooker as me and you do, or a lot of people do listen to this podcast to get this point. But you just to get quirkier draws, you're sort of used to the type of draws you get in other tournaments. But because this is based on the one year list, it is a bit different. And you get things thrown up that you wouldn't normally get. You know, we've got Barry Hawkins, Ronnie O'Sullivan in the first round. And then Mark Selby's playing knock on it. Selby wins that. Then he'll play the winner of Hawkins and O'Sullivan in the last 16, which is, you know, it's not stuff you would normally see in tournaments, is it? Ding against Bingham in the first round. Very nice stuff. So, um, yeah, unusual draws they're not used to. But, yeah, they're, 
they're brilliant. This series has been a, has been a huge hit, and uh, yeah, it's it's great. So, uh, and you're right about the Tour Championship; it just builds up so well, and that is a that's a, a monster, isn't it? Um, just before the World Championship, it's it's turned into the perfect pre World Championship tournament. So, yeah, much to look forward to there. Absolutely right, and the aforementioned Barry Hearn, I think he, he once said a lot. Like all mugger ideas, I borrowed them, and uh, <laughs> he, he sort of has done from golf. But why not? He made it made it work in this sport, and it's been a, a big success. Yeah, you mentioned some of those cracking matches coming up tomorrow, Tuesday, in the UK. Um, we've got Mark Williams, Jamie Jones, uh, Ryan Day with that real blow at the Masters, of course, not winning that match against Ricky Walden. Uh, yeah, Mark Selby Nopper, as you say, with the winner to play Ronnie and Barry Hawkins. Goodness, Ding and Stuart Bingham. They've had some cracking matches over the years. Joe O'Connor against Lou Haushan. Uh, Judd Trump, the new Masters winner against Hossein Rafai, who, uh, of course, played well at Ali Palace. That's another very interesting one. Kyron Wilson against Robbie Williams. And then on to Wednesday, Sean Murphy, Ali Carter. Oh, I should have done the guest of the year. What was I thinking of? Oh, um, Tom Ford. I might do it in a minute. Tom Ford, don't look. Tom Ford, Sam Craigie, <laughs> uh, Gary Wilson, Anthony McGill. And and Luca Purcell, Joe Perry. So all the way they're good matches. They really, really are. Really are, aren't they? There's no all I say. Well, you want to watch every single one. I mean, the lowest profile without having a go at anyone is probably what Joe O'Connor against Liu Haishan. That's probably the 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 lack of big names there the most. But you know, Joe had that brilliant run to the final in Scotland. Um, yeah, every single one of them, other uh, including that really, but every single one of them is so interesting. Things like Wilson against McGill, love that. And Trump against Fafai is, is an absolute banger now. Murphy against Carter, which I think you're looking at now, brilliant. So, yeah, we're really treated to some guaranteed good stuff in in, in this tournament. And, uh, yeah, 100 grand for the winner. So it's, if you uh, if you do well in this one, you, your chances are very good at getting in the next one and then the one after that. So it's huge, really. Big, big for everyone in there. I feel a bit mean that I'm 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 nearly always the quiz master here, but your guesses are, are, are generally very good. No pressure though. So <laughs> yeah, I have just looked up Murphy and Carter. What do you first think? First time they met as professionals. First time they met as professionals. Um Murphy turned pro sort of 98, 99, didn't they? So uh were two thousand. The answer is two thousand. Oh, lovely stuff. Feel like, bloody hell, the Benson and Hedges Championship. And uh, there we are, Murphy 5, Carter 2. And, uh, yeah, they've had some cracking matches over the year. Well done. That is really very good. The, the Masters qualifying tournament, wasn't it, the Benson and Hedges? So it was, exactly right. They didn't play interesting enough then until the, uh, the 06 Grand Prix. But, yeah, looking through here, yeah, Masters, 08 Masters. So yeah, some really, really big matches. Trying to think of the yeah, the 08 World Championship, uh, where actually Carter had a crack in winning that. Carter got the final uh, that year, didn't he? One of the years he lost to Ronnie. So yeah, loads and loads of, of, of big matches over the years. So there we are. Well done to Phil. And we look forward to the rest of the World Grand Prix un- unfolding. We'll be back next week to review the tournament. We should say we got uh, Marcel Eckhart, remind you, in two weeks' time. All being well on January the 30th. To, to mark that in your diary so that, that that's going to be with us in in a couple of weeks time uh, keep your thoughts and your and your questions coming from marcel talking snooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at talking snooker 
we maybe should move on to any other business, but we kept this to a, a relatively okay kind of length. I, mean, I think we're over the hour mark, but by no means a marathon. Yeah, we've done all right there, I think. Um, yeah, any other business? I would say when I was watching the football in between sessions yesterday, someone said hello to me as they were on the way out, said they were a fan of the podcast. Didn't catch the name, but if you're listening, whoever you were, uh, thanks for saying hello. As I said before, I'm 100% botherable. So bother me whenever you can. Um, but yeah, that was nice to see. Um, and yeah, no, just a great tournament, wasn't it? Um, even when we said, I said at the start, it may not go down to one of the best Masters ever, but even not a classic Masters is still an excellent is still an excellent tournament. Thoroughly enjoyable week. Great stories. Great final. Um, as I said before, and I think I'm writing a piece about this tomorrow, like Mark Williams is just such guaranteed entertainment. You know, we spoke um, when we were talking about this, when I was on the WST website, they did the top 10 matches of 2022 and Williams was in um, a, a fairly high chunk of them, wasn't he? He was in a lot of the, uh, of the most memorable games and he was in the two most memorable games of this tournament, I would say, you know, against Ronnie and then the final. So he's just, uh, he's just brilliant to have around. Um very funny, obviously, on social media and things like that, but just guaranteed entertainment on the table as well. But, yeah, Judd winning, great for the game as well. Um, so, yeah, great week. Two thumbs up. Very much so. And I should say that I, I did meet a couple of more pod fans as well. You reminded me when I went uh, for my second visit on Thursday. And also, I don't think I told you this, actually, I met Lee McAllister. From oh, really? No, you didn't. Walking Bulls, who was, who was lovely, a real delight. We didn't chat for long, but uh, he's... Just as nice as he as he always came across on the pod, and uh, he deserves a lot of credit for him and Michael for, for for that pod. That was excellent work, and he what 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 a smashing chat. I also met the man behind. Uh, jo- is it Johnny Potterlot? I should know. I I, I <laughs> photo with him, and he was telling me all about that, and how he how he's just trying to sort of spark, you know, a bit a bit of love for the game. I, yeah, I had a photo taken. Um, did I, have a photo? I did have a photo taken. Well, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't put it up. I thought even by my levels, that's a bit childish. So I just put one up. One up of, of Johnny on his own at the UK and uh, pretended that I was inside. I wasn't. Um, but Johnny Potterlot does does a lot of good work as well. But but it's lovely, isn't it, Phil? When we, when we, we meet fans that tune into us, it means an awful lot. And uh, you know, it's we, we maybe meet some more in Sheffield. Should we? Let's hope so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's the place where everyone is. So, yeah, no, looking forward to that. And uh, it does feel like when the Masters is out of the way, as you said before, that loads of big tournaments to come, but it feels like the road to the road to Sheffield is starting out on it now. Um, so, yeah, it'll come round. It'll come round quickly, won't it? Very quickly. So, uh, yeah, business, nearing the business end, as you said, we're just sort of pre-business, but very close to the business end. <laughs> that, 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 that's, that's, that's not much of a motto, is it? <laughs> <laughs> um, should say before we go, um, the World Disability Billiards and Snooker uh, held their British Open event in, in Woking uh, over recent days, and uh, it was a big success by all accounts. Congratulations to everyone organising that event, and for all the details of the winners and news uh, from the tournament, you can go to the Twitter page of the World Disability Billiards and Snooker at WDBS Official and. As I say, Marcel Eckhart with us in two weeks. Next week, we've got a review of this tournament that's just underway, the World Grand Prix. And the shootout, Phil. Bloody hell, the shootout is nearly upon us. So as if our cup runneth over. Actually, a lot of fans are really looking forward to that. I mean, that's not surprising. People enjoy it. But I've seen quite a few messages saying, yeah, the shootout's coming up. 
can't wait. Good old laugh. I've never been actually myself, I have to say, and I must put that right. But people, you know, committed fans, you know, more casual fans, that a lot of them make shootout, you know, and it's not everyone's cup of tea, but a lot of them make it a key part of their live snooker watching every season. Yeah, I was actually looking today at going down because um, it's on it's on Wednesday to Saturday this year, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, oh. um, rather than fishing on the Sunday. And I might try and get down for one of the first two days because it's in Leicester, which isn't too far from here. And I've never attended either. Um, and I'd quite like to attend as a fan and give it the full give it the full works shootout fandom. Um, but yeah, a bit of news on that as well. I just saw before we started that Michael Holt's got, got a place because I think Marco Fu pulled out and... Uh, Holt was the next on the list. So what a man to draft in, the shootout specialist. So he's not had much success on the old amateur scenes so far this season, but you know, he'll be <laughs> he'll be well up for that one, having won it before and been to another final. And when you were just talking about the yeah, other bit of snooker, uh, Martin O'Donnell, who we spoke about last week, who's earned his tour card back, he was he won another event. He won an English tour event over over the weekend. So, you know, he's uh Actually, it's a while before he will come back onto the tour. It's a few months yet, but he's enjoying himself on the amateur circuit. So, well done to him. Very much so. Very much so. And yes, Michael Holt, you don't want to draw Michael Holt, do you? I mean, the person that gets that, especially first up, will think, oh, God, I must have walked under a couple of ladders or something. I think it's Lee Pei Fan, I think. Oh, is it Lee Pei Fan? Okay. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Because, yeah, Michael's a proper old player in that. I mean, most times, actually, he's got that. That that nailed down really. I, I, there's so many reasons I enjoy watching that, and one I said this before. I'm absolutely fascinated by the guys. Mark Williams is the ultimate example last time that don't look like they're rushing. That's such mm. a, such a sign of snooker quality for me and a snooker brain to not look like you're rushing and to still be elegant and classy when you're playing the shootout is a real sort of talent. And a few of yeah, the five was like that last year as well. It was superb. But then, obviously, then sometimes you get the opposite. And was oh, yeah. it Barry Pinchers? There was a really funny clip of Barry Pinchers literally sprinting around playing, which was equally entertaining. So, yeah, it brings you everything. It? it does. Thank you for your company, as ever. It's been a delight. And uh, see you next week. Yeah, absolutely. Pleasure as always. Thanks for listening. Good to speak to you. As we salute each other, which is not, not so great in an audio service, but nice for us. <laughs> yeah. I must say, keep your thoughts coming, talkingsnooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at talkingsnooker. Well done to Judd Trump, and we hope that everyone enjoyed the Masters. Keep your Masters thoughts coming. It's one of those events where I know we'll continue to reflect on it. It's that big in the sort of uh, coming weeks. And uh, to the usual channels, talkingsnooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at talkingsnooker. Thank you very much for your company for this latest episode. Uh, from Phil and myself. Cheerio. Sports Social Podcast Network.